What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the host of Pulse Radio, in the building for another special edition of the Pulse Radio podcast on today, where we are going to recap game two of the NBA Finals, where the Golden State Warriors shellapped. They destroyed the Celtics 107 to 88. They went in. The Warriors played an amazing defensive game. They outscored Boston 35 to 14 in the third quarter. And what was a reversal of what happened in game one in that fourth quarter with Boston? Uh, it was a very weird game for me. Um, to be honest, I was do- pulling double duty. Uh, I watched um, wrestling. Um, WWE had the Hell in a Cell pay per view on tonight. So I watched that with my brother and I had on my computer. I was watching the game and it wasn't really too much to watch. So I'm not going to go that deep because it's not too much to tell of this game. It's not really really too much. It really boiled down to a couple things because Boston outside of the others, and I'll get that in a second outside of the others, Boston didn't necessarily play bad. I just think that they were sloppy. All right. Uh, the game one performance from Boston, it's a lot of debate on the internet and in the media around the productivity of Derek White and Al Horford and Marcus Smart because they had monster games and they stepped up when Jason Tatum only had 13 points, right? So, or 12 or 13 points. They, st- they stepped up, right? So the big question going into this game is, is Derek White going to hit like three or four three-pointers tonight? Is Al Horford going to step up and go crazy and and lead the team in points again? Is Jalen Brown going to get more points? And the biggest question, as people are posting about Jason Tatum doing all these quote-unquote Kobe Memorial tributes that he's doing, which I don't think he's doing, and I think the media is overblowing it, but is he going to turn into Kobe, and is he going to score 30, 35 points to steal game two from the Warriors and put their backs against the wall going to Boston and the crowd at TD Bank North Garden is going to go crazy. Uh, Jason Tatum had 28 points. So Jason Tatum did turn up and he had a bounce back game like he's done in the other series in the playoffs. And you had Jalen Brown that also stepped up as well. We look at the productivity for Jason Tatum. He had 28 points, six rebounds, three assists, eight of 19 field goals. He had six three-pointers. That's pretty good, and that's way better than game one. Jalen Brown had 17 points, three three three-pointers, but he was 5 of 17. But it was a point in time where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were the only two players that were scoring for Boston. I want to talk about Boston's role players really quickly. We talked about Derek White. We talked about Al Horford. We talked about Marcus Smart. They all had monster games on Thursday. They had monster games, and they stepped up when Jason Tatum wasn't doing anything. If you look at the game that happened on, on, on last Thursday, you had Al Horford, 26 points. Marcus Smart had 19 points. Derek White had 21 points off the bench. And Peyton Pritchard had eight points, came in, knocked down two three-pointers. Look at what happened tonight. It was a total reversal of what happened before. Because Al Horford, Marcus Smart, and Robert Williams, who started with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, had six points combined. Derek White had 12 points, only hit two three-pointers, was 4-13 from the field. Peyton Pritchard, eight points. That last game, he had like two three-pointers. He had four points, no three-pointers. Jalen and Jason, especially Jason, who stepped up with 28 points, had no help. And that was the story for the entire game. Now, Al Horford and Robert Williams, they got into some foul trouble. 
But that's unacceptable. That is unacceptable that Jason Tatum said, you know what? I was lacking. I was struggling. That's on me. Thank y'all boys for getting that win. I'm going to come back and I'm going to make it happen. And he puts up a monster stat line for you know, his standards. That's a normal game for him. And everybody else sort of falls off a cliff. That led to that precipitous drop of them only scoring 14 points in that third quarter when Golden State decided, you know what, let's turn up. But my the thing that was so weird about it is that Golden State was not playing amazing until that third quarter. I want to talk about Klay Thompson real quick, right? So Klay Thompson today had 11 points. He was 4 of 19 from the field. He only made one three-pointer. And last game, he had 15 points. He was 3 of 7 from 3, which is a very pedestrian game for Klay Thompson, any version of it. And Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, how the Warriors were built. And this is something I'm used about on Twitter. At my Twitter handle, AuthorRandallB, I was tweeting about the game. One thing that I'm used about, about the Golden State Warriors and how they're built, is that they're built to have two dominant scores. And back in the day when they were that unstoppable dynasty, you had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. They were your two unstoppable scorers. You had Kevin Durant that can get his shot on anybody from anywhere. And you had Steph Curry that was just a threat when he inbounded the ball. He was unstoppable. He was a threat. And that meant that every other player on the floor was a threat because they took up so much attention and Steph had so much gravity even without the ball. But even but before that, in the 73-9 season and the season that they won the championship against the undermanned Cleveland Cavaliers, Klay Thompson was a suitable second option that was knocking down crazy shots. He would consistently have like games where he made six three-pointers, games where he had nine three-pointers, games where he had seven or five or four. He had multiple three-pointers. He would score in the, the lower 20s a game, and then Steph will go supernova, get 40 points, 35 points. He'll go from there, shoot 11, 12 three-pointers. It was a great synergy. Because of Clay's drop-off, and it's understandable because he had two severe injuries, they rely on Jordan Poole to step up and basically be the new Clay Thompson. But when Jordan Poole has nine points in game one, that derails them because Steph had 36 points in game one. Jordan Poole had nine. Clay Thompson had 15. There was no one else, no Andrew Wiggins, no Draymond Green, no Kevon Looney. There was no one else that came in that was able to pick up the productivity to give Steph a second person that could help take the scoring load and find a way to narrow that game going, going into the, the end, ending stretch of the fourth quarter or for them to win the game outright and claim home court and say, hey, this is our home and now we're going to go to Boston and take a game from y'all. And I think that that is the problem with the Warriors and that's why I think that they're going to lose this series. I think that they're going to lose in six. I'll be generous and say they'll lose in seven because that is the flaw. You have to look at Boston tonight. Like, you have to really look at, at Boston and what they were hitting on tonight. Boston had an astronomical amount of turnovers. Golden State had 15 steals. Like, Boston committed 18 turnovers, and off the turnovers, the Warriors converted the turnovers into 33 points. That's a disproportionate amount of turnovers, and you're basically giving them points. That's the name of the game. The Celtics were sloppy. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the foul trouble. Maybe they're sort of beat up. Maybe they, they're hurt. I don't know. But they were sloppy this game, and the sloppiness played into the Warriors' hands because we all know that when you play the Warriors, you have to give it your best shot, and you have to make sure you're staying safe. 
because you turn over that ball, like that turnover turned into three points real quick, and now it's the third quarter, and they scored 35 points on you, and the game is over. Boston's not going to do that again. I don't believe that they'll do that again. I believe that Boston will be more careful. I believe that Boston will limit the turnovers. I believe that you'll see more points distribution between Al Horford, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, and Marcus Smart. And I believe that Robert Williams will be more of a terror on the defensive end. And also, I believe that, that, that Robert Williams get his points. He'll get at the very least eight to ten points to add to the scoring platter of everyone putting in on the Celtics. So I believe that game three will be very different. I think game three will actually be a pretty close game. And that's gonna it's going to lead to the Celtics eventually winning the series because Kevin Durant's not walking through that door. And I keep invoking the name of Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant really fit into the scheme of the Warriors, and I think he would be perfect on this Warriors team because of Clay not putting up supernova numbers, they need someone else that can just get buckets. Like, and Steph's the only one out there that can if Jordan Poole is going to step up. So I think that the Warriors are very beatable. They're weak right now. I think that this is the most vulnerable Warriors team, save for 2016. I think this is the most vulnerable Warriors team since 2015 because I believe that the Cavaliers, the LeBron Cavaliers that had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love on it, if Kevin Love didn't get injured, if Kyrie didn't go down game one in overtime, I believe the Cavaliers probably beat that Warriors team in seven. But because it was just LeBron and some role players, and mind you, LeBron went up 2-1 on them boys, they were able to win in six. This is not those Cavaliers. The Celtics are dangerous, they're different, and they're going to be at home and that with that Boston crowd that's going to be super hype and super amped. Honestly, Boston might be the best home arena in the NBA, especially this playoffs. They were going crazy. Like, the energy in that place is electric. So I think that just like, just like the Chase Center, Boston's going to be lit too. So I think that what we saw tonight, it's not going to be duplicable. I believe that the Celtics are going to regain control in game three. And the Warriors had the Warriors finally showed out. They did what they were supposed to do. They held serve at home for this game. Now it's time for them to go to Boston and then steal one and do a split. And then the Celtics pull off game five and six and it's over. That's just what I think. That's just my conjecture. I think game three Celtics, game four Warriors, Celtics went out. So there's nothing too much more to talk about when it comes to basketball because the game was a blowout. It was very sloppy, all right? So I want to just cut touch on a couple of media topics. So a lot of people keep talking about Draymond Green and his podcast, saying that Draymond Green's lackluster play is because his head is not in the game and he's not thinking about basketball. He's thinking about his media career. And I want to say that y'all are haters. Do y'all really expect for these NBA players to think about basketball and review the tape and game plan 24-7? They have lives. When you're at work and you do, you, you work your nine to five, nine o'clock to five o'clock, you're at work or whatever time that you work. When you get off work, are you thinking about work? Maybe you are. Maybe you have different projects you have to do. Maybe you have some stuff you want. You want to finish up that you couldn't finish up at work. You want to hop on topics. I know that teachers have to bring work home and I worked in sales. So I know that sometimes you have to go home and do what you got to do and get ready for the next day. I get it. But typically, when you're off of work, you ain't thinking about work. You're resting and getting ready to go back into the lab that next morning. So you're telling me that you don't think that Draymond Green is preparing for the game. You don't think that Draymond Green is breaking down film. 
You don't think Draymond Green is thinking about, okay, what did I do wrong? What can I do better for the next game? Just because he has a podcast and he does an episode after every game and he's done that since the beginning of the playoffs? Bro, y'all are just using anything to talk about and pick on. What Draymond Green is doing is amazing. And I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. And he always talks about the new media. And I believe that this is a sign of the times. We have an athlete that is in an NBA finals at the pinnacle of the sport that's giving you a breakdown of what's going on, the adjustments that he thinks should be made without telling too much, and how he feels about things that's going on in the league. That is astounding. Y'all love Charles Barkley. This is next level. But y'all are going to diminish that man because, oh, he only had six points. When has Draymond Green been a scorer? Draymond Green has been a defensive mastermind. Draymond Green's someone that's a great switch defender. He'll guard you. He'll, he'll switch on you and he'll move his feet. He'll steal, he'll steal the ball from you. He's the emotional leader. He's not Steph Curry. So what do you, what do you really expect from this man? Like, like, like I, I'm just confused. Like, what is wrong with him doing his podcast? And why do y'all always point to it when the Warriors or Draymond does badly? There's nothing wrong with this podcast. He can do whatever he wants to do with his time. I honestly get upset at that because, man, like, let that man have his media ambitions. Let that man have his podcast. He's good at it. You listen. Like, oh, he don't need to be doing this podcast, doing the thing. Y'all listen. So that means he has something pretty good to say. But really quickly, I want to talk about this one last thing. We're going to keep it on media. So Stephen A. Smith is my guy. And I'm being so honest here. I got into this media game and I aspired to be a sports journalist because of a lot of different figures. Of course, like, man, Stuart Scott comes to mind. And rest in peace to Stuart Scott. He was the one guy on SportsCenter. He was black. He was authentically a black man. He had booyah, cool as the other side of the pillow. He talked like us, right? He was authentically himself. He was a good person. But when I first saw Stephen A. Smith, man, I looked up to him because he was a black man on TV that was speaking his mind. He, he was so articulate, using these big words. He seemed to be so educated and so in the know about what was going on. And he worked his way from being a beat reporter to being at the pinnacle of sports television. On ESPN, he runs that network, one of the highest paid people on TV, especially in sports. But what Stephen A. has become, as he has become a caricature of himself. And it's so funny because Charlemagne talks about this often because we know that Charlemagne in his prime was the irritant on the radio. They call Charlemagne the black Howard Stern. And Charlemagne would ask the craziest questions to his interviewees. He'll keep it real with you. He'll say what we all were thinking and what he was thinking to your face. It was provocative, right? But Charlemagne is not that guy anymore. Charlemagne has matured. He's not that shock jock. Now he's a veteran radio personality that knows how to curate conversation and tackle topics. And you see he's more political at this point in time in his career. He talks about his, his time in the early 2010s and the things he used to do when he was being a shock jock. He said that he realized he was a caricature of himself. And that's when he started to, to peel back and be more of Leonard McKelvey instead of Charlemagne the God. I think that Stephen A. Smith needs to look in the mirror and have that same level of realization. He has become a caricature of himself. He's not Stephen A. Smith. He's screaming A. And he's leaning into it because he believes that that's what gets views. And to me, that is the problem.
I love, like I said, I love Stephen A. Smith. And, and I, I'm in the HBCU space. Stephen A. Smith is an HBCU graduate, Winston State University alum. So a lot of my thoughts on Stephen A. Smith, I've kept to myself. I've tweeted about some of them, but I've kept to myself because it's a it's a real possibility that I might meet him one day. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to back down in how I feel, but, you know, I don't want no weird energy. You know what I'm saying? But So I've kept a lot of what I think to myself. But I believe that Stephen A. Smith has, has become a caricature of himself, and I believe that that isn't good for the game the media game, the games that's being covered because people want to hear real analysis. And I don't think it's just good for him, period. But if it, if it makes money and it gets views, I guess what I say on this podcast, it don't matter. All right. Because he's at the pinnacle. He's at the top. But I look all down Twitter and I see people that are complaining that Stephen A. Smith treats every segment, no matter what show he's on, he can be on Sports Center, he can be on Get Up, he can be on, on, on any type of show, any radio station, anywhere. He's going to scream and yell and act like he's debating somebody on any show. Every show you get on, every take you give is not first take. First take is meant to be a debate show where you argue. And Stephen A. Smith is good at it. And a lot of these episodes that feature J.J. Reddick and Mad Dog, they've been highly entertaining. But we just want you just to give a cogent take where you talk about the game. You give your opinion on what's going to happen in the finals or what's going on. They love talking about the Lakers and the Nets. So what's going on with Kevin Durant? What's going on with Kyrie not getting vaccinated? What's going on with LeBron and them not making the playoffs? Talk about Michael Jordan. Give your take on that. You don't got to scream. Like, because it's so funny because Stephen A. Smith finds some way to scream. Like, he'll be like, they'll be like, listen, Stephen A., so the Celtics and the Warriors, they're playing today. The Warriors won a very lopsided game, 107 to 88 on Sunday. What do you think? Oh, oh, but Jordan Poole got to step up. He got to really step up. I'm like, bro, what are you screaming for? Like, like calm. <laughs> like, this is a very calm question. Like, why are you screaming? Like, this ain't first take, man. And and thing about it is that I was listening. It ain't even that loud outside. <laughs> like where, where they were, it was not even that loud outside. I'm like, man, calm down. It's okay. And I want to give a perfect example. So this is something that really happened on the NBA countdown today. So of course they're talking about the big news that Quinn Snyder stepped down from his position as the head coach of the Utah Jazz. And that is a big story, and I understand them talking about it because immediately I went to NBA Twitter and I turned to NBA radio on Sirius XM to hear what people were talking about because we all were theorizing that this was going to be Quinn Snyder's last year and that the Jazz team, as it's currently constructed, just simply was not going to work. But check out what Stephen A. Smith segued to when Jalen Rose said this to him on NBA Countdown. So to me, if you're Quinn Snyder, you see that they're about to break them up. You exit stage left and get ready for your next job. And you now see if maybe if Stephen A's right and Donovan Mitchell ends up somewhere else and don't say New York. God damn right, I'm going to say the New York thing. New York would be for Quinn Snyder. We all know the great Phil Jackson, 11-time champion as coach, should be banned from the city of New York. He should never be allowed in New York again after the atrocity of running the New York Knicks organization. So let's break down what happened. Let me paint the picture. So like I said, they're talking about Quinn Snyder stepping down as coach of the Utah Jazz, and Jalen Rose was saying that he believes that this is the last year that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are going to be together because 
They're clearly not in sync. Donovan Mitchell don't even pass to that man like that. Like, he passed the ball to him one time in a series of games. So it's like, man, one of them's probably going to be gone. So Quinn Snyder probably saw the white on the wall, and he's going to go. And most likely, Donovan Mitchell's on the move. He said Stephen A has always theorized that Donovan Mitchell's going to the Knicks. So then Stephen A just goes crazy. Whenever you say Knicks, he just blacks out and just goes crazy. And I believe he really is passionate like that. But also, I believe it's sort of him playing into the gimmick and the character. And he said, goddamn, right? And this is Disney. Like, this ain't TNT. Like, this ain't Fox. This is Disney. So although that's not a very harsh curse word, they were like, oh, this man said, goddamn. Oh, my gosh. So they meant to bleep out when he said, goddamn. But they bleeped out Phil Jackson instead. Phil Jackson is not a dirty word. It's not a curse word. He's he's called Phil Jackson almost everything but, but a child of God. <laughs> like on the ESPN airways. He had like one moment with Will Kane back in the day where he eviscerated uh, uh Phil Jackson, man. He eviscerated that man. Like he was on vacation, and when the Knicks fired Phil Jackson, he came back when it was Will Kane and some other guy. He had a debate with Will Kane, and Will Kane like riled him up only like Skip Bayless used to. And he went federal. He dropped numbers, he dropped dollars on Phil Jackson's head. Like literally. So that's what I'm talking about. I mean, it's funny because he cussed and they tried to bleep it out. But is that energy really needed on NBA Countdown that's meant to sort of be, hey, we're just talking about the game. We're giving you an update on what's going on. You're giving your opinion. We're moving on. I think the reason why people like NBA on TNT outside of Charles Barkley, who Charles Barkley, I have my criticism of Charles Barkley, but Charles Barkley is funny. And he is a legend at what he does. It's him and John Madden. Like, they're like the pioneers of this thing. And I think everyone is sort of trying to be like them. From in that booth with John Madden to Charles Barkley in that studio chair, everyone's trying to find that John Madden, Charles Barkley energy. Everyone's trying to do that, right? But where ESPN falters is that they don't give their host that be on NBA Countdown time to gel. You have the NBA on TNT crew with Ernie, Kenny, and Charles that's been together for nearly 30 years. And then Shaq joined back in, I believe that was 2011, because Shaq, or it was 2012. No, I think it was 2011, 2012. Shaq retired around that time. He immediately joined TNT right after that. We knew he would. So Shaq has been with them for at very least 10 to 11 years. Ernie, Kenny, and Charles have been together for nearly 30 years, like going back to the early 2000s, Right. And then Ian and Ernie and Kenny have been together since the, the since the mid 1990s, right? So they have a level of chemistry that is great to see play out. Like they know each other's idiosyncrasies. It's more than just the jokes. It's even more than just the basketball talk. It's just the vibe that they give off on each other. That is what makes NBA on TNT a winner. The chemistry, because Charles Barkley is often wrong about his basketball takes. They make it a bit on the show. He's often wrong. His guarantees, all that stuff, he's often wrong. He often says erroneous things that make no sense, and we call him out on Twitter. Shaq says wrong things. Kenny says wrong things, too, but Kenny is more accurate and breaks down the game more than they do, and I have a conjecture that Charles and Shaq don't actually watch the games, because some of the stuff they say, I'm like, bro, did you actually watch the game? Because <laughs> that didn't happen. Like, what you're saying is not true. Like, that's happened a lot this playoffs with Charles and Shaq. But it's not, it's not even the basketball analysis. It's just the conversation and the fact that you are shocked that Charles Barkley, he really said that? ESPN can't compare to that because 
Charles Barkley is himself. Stephen A ain't that. Stephen A is a great personality. He's going to be a legend when it's all said and done. Just like we talk about John Madden and Charles Barkley, we'll remember Stephen A. Smith fondly when he retires or when, when he finally decides to sort of scale it back. We'll remember Stephen A. Smith fondly. I know I will. But I just don't like what he's turned into, and that's my problem with him. What I want more of, especially as someone that I have this digital platform of Pulse Radio and I do my stuff with HBC Pulse and I aspire to get more and grow my brand and get more into those traditional media outlets and be a nationally renowned voice. I hope to one day aspire to be that, right? So I, like I said, I do look up to Stephen A. Smith and Stephen A. Smith has inspired me, but I want to see more Draymond Green, J.J. Reddick, Tim Legler type personalities that give you real analysis overtakes. I think that that's where we're going and I think that's what the people want. Now, the ratings numbers could say different, but I'm looking at what the streets is saying. And these Twitter streets are saying, why does man yell? <laughs> That's all I'm saying, man. So I believe that it's time for a change in sports media. And I believe that Stephen A. Smith has to read the room. But Stephen A. Smith is of a certain age. Like I, I know about black men of a certain age. I'm 25. I'm a millennial. Uh, I know a black men of a certain age. And when people get a certain age, especially black men, it don't change. When they've lived their life and they've had some level of success and they live and they walking around, they doing their thing, they making money, they ain't going to change. So don't expect for Stephen A. Smith to stop screaming on NBA Countdown. That's not going to happen. He's not going to keep that on first take because to him, he believes that that's his brand. And when he looks at the ratings numbers and the segment by segment numbers and the hour by hour numbers, when he reviews it with the bosses at ESPN, when he negotiates his, ne his next contract, man, that's what he's looking at. He ain't worried about what we're talking about on Twitter. He ain't worried about what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? All power to him. He's an HBCU alum. I'm proud of him. But I just wish that we would get out of this hot take culture that we're in and start really chopping up the game and discussing the game. That's all I'm saying. But outside of that, that is it for me. I'm going to get out of here. Like I said, I'm hoping for better. I'm hoping for better from, you know, the whole entire NBA Finals, man, because this game two was knit. I think that Boston does storm back game three and they make things happen. But like I said, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know for sure, but I believe that Boston is not going to turn over the ball like that. I believe that you're not going to get 30 plus points off turnovers from Boston. And I believe that Al Horford, Marcus Smart, and Robert Williams aren't going to give you six points combined. All right? That's not cool. I don't think that's going to happen again. But Klay Thompson, I'm worried. I don't think we'll see a vintage Klay Thompson game. I could be wrong, but I don't think we'll see a vintage Klay Thompson game because he just doesn't have it in him. And it's understandable. I think he is what he is at this point. He's not going to be that two-way defender. He's not going to be that crazy three-point marksman. He's not going to be that guy anymore because of the injuries. So at the at best, he can be a wing shooter that can give you like 17 to 19, maybe 20. He might go for 31 game. But I think you just cannot depend on him to be the consistent second option. That means that Jordan Poole, he had 17 points tonight. That's cool. Bronny, 25. To be honest with you, if they really want to win against this Boston team, because Boston's going to come back crazy game three at home, Jordan Poole has to get 25. Good game tonight. Nine points game one, 17 points game two. Game three, I need to see you at 25, 26, 27 to match what Steph is doing. And maybe then the Warriors have a chance of winning. But I still say Celtics in six. Nevertheless, that is it for me. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Pulse Radio 100 on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on YouTube, just Pulse Radio. 
But outside of that, I will see you on the other side. You're listening to Pulse Radio. 